Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Melvin. In this episode, I speak with Rhea M. Riley, a lifelong radical feminist, disability activist, and writer. Rhea has navigated cult tactics via gender extremism in the online space and She's emerged on the other side, providing a nuanced analysis of the intersection of capitalism and feminism. Rhea outlines the path of trans ideology in its targeting of women, from destabilizing vernacular in denying material reality to the abuse of women's autonomy in political and legal jurisdictions. With women's participation in public life being conditional, The religion of trans ideology endangers women by allowing men to invade the few private women-only spaces. This discussion encompasses the complexities of women arming themselves in self-defense, as well as the connections of sex-based oppression to pedophilia, transracialism, transhumanism, transspeciesism, transableism, and the problem of insular self-perception. My name is Rhea M. Riley. I'm 32, going on 33 years old. I've been a radical feminist for all my life. For most of my life, that would have just been called a feminist, not a radical feminist. It wasn't necessary to distinguish between the two, but I started writing about feminism online probably back when I got a Facebook, I guess, all the way back in 2006. Um, And then I spent some time with other feminists in about 2013. It was around the time I met my husband. So like 2013, 14, 15, those years, I hung around on Facebook in a group of other feminists but it it turned out that it was really a trans controlled cult but we were online we never saw each other in real life but it was it acted like a a cult the cult dynamics were there and at that time i didn't realize how the dynamics were affecting me i've always been a verbal person you've seen I like to write and once I start writing I just can't stop. I'm pretty good at articulating my views and what started to happen was I would sit down at the keyboard like I am now and I would begin to try to write about being a woman something that I know about really well Um, like I can write a lot of words about evolutionary psychology so you would think it would be very easy for me to write about being a woman but the words wouldn't come like it wouldn't start I would start to write a sentence and then I would delete it and then I would try to rearrange it and I I, because I was trying to make it fit with trans ideology I was trying to make my experience and what I my knowledge my political knowledge fit with trans ideology and it didn't and so I became mute in articulating myself about being a woman and about being a feminist and my views on feminism. So I became mute and it actually, I was excommunicated from the cult. Um, They did it by shunning. (laughs) So they used shunning method on me 
And so then I was without friends and I'm already really introverted. So I was without friends or people I could relate to. So I had to rethink about like, how did I actually fit in with those people? And then it took many, many years after that, like just this year is when I've regained the ability to articulate myself on feminism again. And I'm glad that people are attracted to it. People generally are pretty attracted to my writing, but it took that long. So I'm just thinking to myself, there's women who are going through that right now who weren't, I was a radical feminist before. So I went into the cult as a radical feminist, knowing that I'm correct, really hard-headed, really determined. And I still took about what three, two, three or four years for me to be able to get that out of my mind and be able to reorganize my thoughts. So if someone goes into it and they don't know anything about feminism when they're in it longer, I was only involved with them like six months. Wow. That six month period was enough for you to take years to have to then recalibrate. To to recalibrate my brain, to make it work again because of the feelings. That's how... I would have never believed it before. I would have never believed cult tactics before. I mean, I did, but it just seemed like, oh, they must have been really weak-minded people, you know? Yes, like we've all watched those like Lifetime remake mm-hmm. documentary. Like, oh, they must be you know, just soft-minded people. Really yeah, people. yeah, wow. Yeah, not me, but it did. It happened, and I, 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 I was watching it happen to myself, but I kept thinking, oh, no, don't. It, it's not a big deal. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. And I did figure it out, but still, I mean, there are people who are more vulnerable than I am mentally that can be dragged into these ideas. And I tried really hard to detach from radical feminism. I did everything I could. I told myself I wouldn't be political. I did everything to try to abstain, but it didn't work. I want to talk about my experiences as a woman. I want to be a feminist. I am a radical feminist and nothing's going to change it. I tried to, it didn't change. So, wow. Can you speak to the shunning tactics that you mm-hmm. experienced? And also I want to hear more about like, w- what was your peak trans? Like how did, and also what attracted you to this like trans inclusive space to begin with? What attracted me to it is that I didn't know anything about trans stuff. Like I didn't know anything about that. And it was just the basics. Like I think everyone gets drawn in. It's like, well, there's this small minority of people who are so extremely distressed by their sex that they want to become the opposite sex. And they are very, very um, distressed. They're very marginalized. They're frequently harmed. And it's our job as leftists, liberals, progressives to protect this group of people and to ensure their safety and make them a part of progressive politics you know like it's just very simple uh just like you would talk about people with disabilities or black people or women you know they're just another minority things have changed so back then feminism was was like a real politics like talking about women need abortions rights women need birth control Women need the right to raise their children in the way they want to. Women need the right to be able to use public transportation without um, being sexually harassed. Like women's rights was something that you could actually talk about. 
And so I was attracted to other women who were talking about women's rights. They were actually using the word woman to describe women's rights. And so I was a feminist and so were they. So, you know, we hung out together and that's how I ended up in that group. The shunning tactic was actually, it's kind of interesting, but what happened was the leader of our group, which I wouldn't have recognized him as the leader. He was a trans woman. I wouldn't have recognized him as a leader at first, but then it slowly became clear that we were in a, organized into a hierarchy with him at the top. And I didn't realize it until it was too late, I guess. But um, so what happened was we were all in a group chat. Once they had outed me, I guess, as a radical feminist, um, because when they would talk about radical feminists and TERFs and stuff, I would just wouldn't say anything. I'd just be like, I just roll my eyes. Because we, we talked a lot about a lot of things. It wasn't just feminism. We would talk a lot about it. So I just roll my eyes. Like, that's their view. I'm just not going to. Because I was alone. I was alone as a radical feminist. There's nothing I could do. So um, it's just like being in a group, any other group where you're a minority political um, view. You know, you just, you know, just side eye it. And eventually they had outed me as a radical feminist and I wasn't changing my mind. I wasn't going to back down. And I mean, you've seen the things that are, I, I just say what I have to say and that's, that's it. And so what he did was he had everyone else stop speaking in the group chat until I left. And so once I realized it was happening, I was like, wow. And then I saw so I left and then they, you know, resumed the group chat. And so that's how they, they were able to shun me out of the group. And then I just really, you know, I can't be in this group. And it hurt. And it was traumatic. And it was weird. But, you know, other than my inability to articulate my thoughts on feminism, there weren't more like lasting psychological effects. Like, I was able to regroup pretty easily. So. Was there any point in your involvement in this group that you believed that men could become women? No, absolutely not, no. So you were in this space because you saw the fight for trans rights as like an, some, somewhat of an extension of feminism? Yeah, I mean, we all, we all had different views about different things. Like some people in the group were really interested in communism. Some were interested in the conflict between communism and uh, market socialism. Like, you know, we had, there was a lot of different views. Like some, I am also a disability activist. So there's, you know, we talk about disability. We talk about um, drug use came up a lot. Like people who have a substance use disorder and the kind of services that they need. And like, we talk about that. It was, there was a lot of things going on. It was just like trans was just one of the views. I see. Yeah. And so somehow if you didn't agree, or you could have dissenting opinions about other topics, but if you didn't buy into trans ideology at some point, like that is what triggered the shunning and the excommunication. So it's like, that's, that's just like speaks to the power of the, of this thing that it's just, it's the divisiveness, the ability to rip groups apart, friendships, families, sisterhoods, professions. I mean, all of it. Dissenting opinions were welcome and there were debates, 
But when it came yes. to trans, unacceptable, goodbye. Yeah. Wow. Um, what kind of conversations were happening around trans, like in, in the group? I mean, were they advocating for, for example, men to compete against women in sports? Like what were the kind of um, the conversations that were happening? Were there conversations or were there more just like declarations? It was, there were very few conversations, but you have to remember back then things have changed very rapidly. So back then the main conversation was should transsexual women, meaning men who have had sexual reassignment surgery, be allowed to use the women's restroom. And that was it. Mm. That was the, we, we were at the, the they just want to pee stage of trans ideology. That's where we were. So there wasn't really a, no, I mean, the idea of doing sports and, you know, taking women's places, uh, you know, in the government and things like that, that didn't even come up yet. Wow. Okay. Acceleration so has been incredible. So what year was this about? I would say I got married in 2016 and I met, I incidentally met my husband in this group. So um it had to have been like 2013 okay okay because like the bruce jenner stuff was around 2015 2014 Mm -hmm. yeah okay it was about that time okay that puts it that puts it into perspective um yeah okay some time ago but it wasn't that long ago right you've spoken to this like this cult Right. The first time I heard it described as a cult was from Posey Parker. And I was really taken aback. I was like, oh, my, oh, my gosh, you know, she's 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 gone too far. It, it, is it is or is it a cult? You know, like it was really jarring for, for me to hear it described that way. And now having left the cult, it's so obvious that it yeah. is a cult. Um, you recently wrote about, yeah, the it being a religious belief. Can you speak to that? Um, Here you've written, I I have a screenshot of of, of what you wrote recently, that gender identity extremism is a religious belief because it involves the soul or spirit of a person, right? So what I gathered from that statement is that you're saying that um, because there are demands for us to believe that there is a soul trapped in the wrong body, that this really veers into like, asking us to adopt and follow a religion that isn't ours. And so we can believe that someone else believes that Jesus Christ is the savior and that, you know, we can speak into water and that there's a separate planet for us when we die, you know, that's separate from you and the whole thing, but, you know, to, to change legislation and the way that we speak and move in the world to accommodate this belief is, is absurd. So, yeah. It's a violation of, a, of the First Amendment. Yeah, so that's my gender identity extremism is a sub-component of transgender ideology. You don't have to believe in gender identity extremism to understand that there are transsexual people, there are transgender people, that gender dysphoria exists or anything like that. It's a specific um, belief that the determinant of biological sex is a construct called the gender identity, which gender identity extremists will say is located somewhere in the human brain. And that um, 
part of the brain gives the conscious person understanding of what biological sex they are. There's no evidence that this is exists. And that is not how people um, come to understand themselves as transgender or transsexual. They do not go and get an MRI and the doctor says, you know what, dude, you got a female brain or you have a female gender identity part in your brain. That never happens ever. That's never happened ever. And it never will happen. Um, it's very similar to how mind-body dualists will say that the, the soul connects to the body through the pineal gland. There's no evidence that that happens or, and that's not where people got the idea of a human soul. It's a backwards formation um, to, get to, the, to get to the conclusion that they want to get to. And so it's that religious belief that I am opposed to and I don't I think people should continue to phrase it as an understanding of religious belief sex change is a religious belief the thought that using the pronouns in English that refer to a female can transform a male into a female is a religious belief it's like witchcraft or uh, doing a spell or something where you think that you can use words to change material reality. As an American citizen, I do not have to adopt any religious belief of any other person. Like they are allowed to believe that, they are allowed to preach that. It's none of my business, I can't stop them from doing that. But I don't have to participate in that religion. So when this was just a thing online, it was like, okay, some people wanna use third person pronouns incorrectly, but now it's becoming a thing where it's hate speech for me to say uh, Bruce Jenner is male. Br Bruce Jenner used he pronouns for Caitlyn Jenner. Um, I don't see how that's hate speech. It's hate speech. It's, it's hate speech to say that I am a Nazi because I don't want to follow someone else's religion. And I think um, for intelligent people who can process like that level of analysis that I'm providing. Um, I know it's not accessible. I'm not trying to make it accessible. It's for a specific audience. If you can process that then and be able to articulate that to other people, like I don't follow that religion. I don't believe that. That's not my belief. Then we can probably start to get somewhere in the legislative sense, like in the legal sense. Cause it's, we have to start articulating our rights within the constitution, because that's where they're taking it. Like, that's where they're taking it. I don't want it to go there. I don't want to have to say that. I want people to respect my rights to identify things in my, in my environment correctly. Like, I want them to respect, but they're not. So I have to go there. Right, right. It's become this defense of material reality. And when you're in a when you're in a space where there isn't a shared belief about material reality, it is so challenging because you are literally, you know, encountering what I believe, you know, is, is someone under like a, a spell, like a deep, deep spell. I call it religion, call it belief system, ideology. And I really don't like when people say that, okay, well, that's your belief and radical feminism, its own belief, but radical fem feminism, I don't really see as a belief system. Like I, I feel like it almost discredits what we're actually talking about, right? We're like, what radical feminists are defending is material reality, 
right? Things that can actually be measured because we can't agree. We could, we could talk endlessly about our philosophical differences and opinions, but if we can't agree on what is a man and what is a woman, it's just, it feels like anything goes, which is kind of, I see the stabilizing. Point. Yeah, that's the point. That's the purpose of it. Would you, does that, does that resonate? Would you, would you? Yeah, it's destabilizing. It's uh, deconstruction. That's the, that's the purpose of it. It's before you convince someone of something that doesn't make sense, you have to first destabilize their understanding of their own thoughts and their own perceptions. Um, you have to disorient them first. Once you've disoriented someone, then you can replace their thoughts with yours. Right. Because your thoughts, because part of the way that humans work is that we are looking to each other to determine what something really is. So if someone keeps telling me, no, that's not San Pellegrino can. It's not a San Pellegrino can. It's not, it's not, it's not. And every time they, and they use a mean face, they use scary words. And then I start thinking, okay, I must be wrong. Cause the other human told me, no, like, I think it's this, but the other human said, no. So I start, because that's how our brains wow. work is that we, we have group understanding and group learning. And all dictators and, and people who want to commit torture and, and bad uh, actions or replace people's thoughts, they do that. They tell you that what you're perceiving is wrong over and over and over again. In psychology, they call it gaslighting, that you, know, you stop believing your own perceptions and you start adopting the perceptions of people around you, which is just not safe. And that's why that's why this is happening. That's why so many people are able to adopt something that's uh, not true. There's different ways to inculcate these views in people's minds because there's different audiences, there's different people who are less likely to believe it or more likely and yeah. So yeah, wow. I, I know I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote in, in that, in that story about uh, gender identity extremism, I wrote an entire slide that was like, if I use the words man and woman, you have no idea what else I believe in. Anybody of any political bent, whether they hate women, love women, don't really care, know what a woman is. So saying woman is not a political statement. It is now, mm -hmm. but it, it wasn't before and it will go back the other way <laughs> to not being a political statement. But it's just like using the word sun to refer to right. the star, tree. To you don't know someone's position on forestry or the paper industry by them using the word tree. That doesn't make sense. It's not a political statement. It's just classifying something that we material experience, which is this tall plant with bark um, and branches that lives a long time. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm a hypnotist. And, and so one of the first things you learn when becoming a hypnotist is to reprogram, right, positive intentions in place of negative thoughts or harmful behaviors, you have to do what's called an induction. And an induction technique is, is, is administered, is done by creating confusion in the conscious mind. And so this is done a number of ways. This is creating distractions, 
Um, it can be done by giving the conscious mind a task to do, right? But you're using language, right? To purposely confuse the conscious mind so that it shuts down, right? So that it takes a back seat so that you can uh, access the subconscious mind. And so once the person appears to be in a state of, of relaxation, that is when you can reprogram. Put in the new thoughts. You know, with the person's consent, the person's coming to me with a set of uh, challenges or issues or whatnot. Um, the more kind of like I looked into the mind spells and mind control and hypnosis use for evil and all this stuff, the more clear it became as to how, not that the gaslighting was happening, because that, that, that I experienced myself, but how it was being done. And so I appreciate you framing it as destabilizing because it also I think has like a somatic experience as well right women are just like throwing in the towel they're so confused they're exhausted we have enough shit to deal with we have enough burdens we are already under-resourced underfunded in terms of healthcare and in in all aspects mothers are the like the unsexiest you know group you know nobody wants to go near mothers right exactly Um, so true and then this so yeah on top yeah and it's meant to disable i mean people like gail dines and other sheila jeffries and other like really smart women who who can articulate these are not stupid women or women who have a a disability or can't articulate themselves like is what i mean like they they know what they believe and so the point is not to counter my argument, like if I say men are the oppressors of women, is to say, well, what is a man? How can you really tell that's a man? How can you be sure? Like there's a stuffed penguin right over my right shoulder. Like, how do you know that's a penguin? How can you really tell? Did you ask? Are you sure? What it really is real? Like when you say it, when you get right down to it, what is a woman? You know, is it a feeling? How do you know someone? You're not answering, you're not talking about what I said. What I said was that men are prius women. You're going into the details of what I said and trying to intertextually deconstruct, you know, the meta narratives within. And that's part of postmodernism. It's like interrogating sentences interrogating positions and care interrogating the things that we take for granted and it turns out to be very effective because then and then that is usually paired with uh poisoning the well the old one of the oldest you know anti-logical defenses ever is like well you can believe that and you can say that but if you do you're evil and you want everyone dead and so that means you shouldn't have the ability to speak at all so between not being able to articulate what you mean and if you are able to, you're shut down because you are evil and you're going to hell. Heard that before? Then there's nothing left to discuss. And now the what used to be a feminist space that had some level of diversity of opinions, like the arguments that we have between radical and liberal feminists, for example or the very, you know, atheists or secular feminism and the various religious feminisms, you know, the diversity of feminist thought. We don't have that anymore. It's just, first of all, there's no women. So there is no feminism. (laughs) And if we get to feminism, 
then if we get to a feminist statement, it has to be broken down to make sure that it includes males. And then it just kind of falls apart after that. It's over rhetorically. Wow. Yeah, the, the, the hateful thing, the, the want people dead thing, it's so, it, it preys. I thought a lot about why and how I was targeted as a birth worker and, and why so many young women are targeted to become allies, to erode their own sex-based protections is because we are, I think, as a sex class, been conditioned to just always wanting to be the yes women and the empathetic women and um, if, 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 we're, if we're told that these other people are under threat, we've somehow been gaslit to believe that it is our duty, it is our moral duty to uphold these people, right? Which in, in, in actuality are mostly white, middle-aged guys. Um, yeah, they're straight guys. Straight guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're not lesbian. People that, uh, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, we were all online talking about how they were the cause of our issues. You know, we were okay. outlining how these straight guys uh, make life hell. All of a sudden now, if they say that they're a woman, they're our friends and allies and we have to center feminism around them. I don't. Right. Right. It's wow. Not, it's not flying for me. I, it doesn't work. I've heard, I've heard the, um, I'd be interested what, what you think about this, like the, the idea that we were really starting to gain traction, right? Um, like open kind of critiques about the patriarchy and um, harassment and violence against women in the workplace. And then all of a sudden, like, boom, like, did you feel that, that there was some kind of traction and then men were like, no, 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 we're, we're still here and, and we're coming in hotter and heavier than, than ever before. And now, now, not, now, not only do we abuse you, but we become, we are now better versions of you. Um, you think that this has been a response to there's a level on a road to matriarchy ever? I mean, no, like not in terms of the timing, I just, or is it more of a like transhumanist kind of like converging paths? I'll tell you what I think. I, I don't think it was any one thing. I think that a lot of the, in the United States, obviously, I'm not from anywhere else, so I, I can't speak for any other feminism. We had a lot of social revolutions or social movements that happened in the 1960s. And because, and this is my view, you know, I'm partial to communism, is that all of the things that happened then were, gained by capital so capital was constantly is all capital is always seeking a way to make money off of whatever we're doing it doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter what the political leaning of it is doesn't matter if it's for men or women or children or adults or old people doesn't matter so what happened was that there was capture from capital so it started with what's called like the feminist sex wars where there was a divide in feminism about um, pornography and prostitution, which was just funded by the pimp lobby. And a lot of games were made by pornographers around that time to 
classify pornography as men's free speech rather than you know exploitation violence against women you know images of violence and degradation against women and so that set the stage for more commercialized feminism then there was a a reframing or refocus which they refer to as the third wave of feminism which involves the indigenous feminisms um black feminism or womanism black feminism and womanism lesbian feminism like the rise of marginalized women into feminism which is just another thing that capital can capture because now you need shirt t-shirts and buttons and everything associated with projecting yourself as an identity as a feminist right and i think that those two things is like the injection of liberalism not liberalism meaning equality under the law but liberalism meaning a focus on the individual rather than a focus on the collective was injected into feminism and then that's what set the stage for a small group of men because i don't think that this is necessary like people will say well it's a men's rights movement but i don't really believe that i think most men don't agree with it. Um, most men are not going to say that a man wearing a dress is a woman. Like that's just not a belief that I believe. I don't believe that most men believe that. I think it was more of an issue within feminism and then the apathy, men ha are apathetic to it. They don't really care if women don't have a rape shelter to go to or a domestic violence shelter to go to. Why, why they didn't care before. So why do they care now? You know, so it's more like men's apathy. And then there's like a handful of men who are helping propel these things. And there are some men who identify as trans who are backing a lot of this stuff with money. But I think the, grassroots ground floor aspect of it is more of the problems that have happened in femin feminism since it was acquired by capital as a target that have led to this. The original trans rights movement was for transsexuals, for mostly men, it was mostly men, but some women who are so uncomfortable with their sex, which they know is male, that they will do just about anything to be perceived as the opposite sex by everyone. And so they seek out therapies, surgeries, clothing, prosthetics, in order to make themselves appear as the opposite sex. You know, Buck Angel is a female example of this. Like, but they know that they're male or female and they feel like that's wrong. They, in order for them to feel like they're the wrong sex, they have to actually be that sex. It's not possible the other way. If right. you are the sex you feel like you are, transsexualism cannot exist. That's why gender identity extremism is a subset of transgender ideology. It's not the totality. And there are men who 
are sexually aroused by the thought of being a woman, by the thought of being feminine, penetrated partners or receptive partners in sex. It seems like it's a rare phenomenon. I don't know a lot about it, but it is there and women are in danger of these men and their fetish. Um, Men who are sexually aroused by the thought of being in a woman's private space, wearing clothes, like trying on women's clothing or clothing that's intended for women and then leaving it. And then they're aroused by the thought of that woman, another, an actual woman, you know, putting on the clothing that they soiled or wore. That's not fair. I mean, like allowing them to practice their fetish in women's spaces is not fair to us. And women will just opt out of public life. You know, if we are, I mean, we're already being assaulted on the basis of just men who don't identify as trans. Now there are men who are identifying as trans coming into our, the only spaces we have to try to escape from the, you know, non-trans men. Like, women will just hop out of public life and that's not fair. Like, how is that, how is that justice? No one can explain it to me. Like, how is it justice to scare young girls away from sports by allowing males into their changing areas and onto their teams. Like, how is that fair? You know, they should just suck it up. That's what got men say to us anyway. They say, well, you're going to get groped on the bus. If you don't want to, if you don't want to get groped, you just stay at home. How is it any different? It's not, it's not. So. I, I, I'm so glad you, you mentioned. Yeah. That's such a, that's such an important point that, that, Oof, yeah, we're more likely just to opt out than to fight. Um, and uh, I even think about, this is kind of a funny example that's coming up for me, but in kindergarten, you know, I think probably a lot of women can relate to this experience. In kindergarten, there was this one boy in, in my class who would always open the door when I was peeing, when, when other girls were peeing, right? Because mm-hmm. it was kindergarten, they didn't have locks on the bathroom doors because kids would get locked in the bathrooms. And so- yeah, for safety. For safety, exactly, right. So, you know, my solution and, and my friend's solution was, you know, I had a buddy system. So my friend, every time I went to the bathroom, she would stand outside the bathroom to make sure that this boy wouldn't open the door and watch me pee. Um, but on the days that she wasn't there, I would just pee in my pants, mm-hmm. right? It was just like that. Th- th- it didn't even occur to me to tell the teacher that the boy was doing this. And it, it certainly didn't occur to me to ask someone else. It was just well, I guess I'm not going in the bathroom that day. And the result of that was to pee in my pants. Um, and so that that's, yeah, it's a... The urinary leash. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's, yeah, that, that, that part's really crazy. Yeah, and I mean, obviously I agree with you 100% that the... The sports thing and you know I, I watched lots of videos especially those the two the two um high school boys in connecticut I've, I've watched the videos of them saying you know just that girls need to work harder mm-hmm. right and, and to me those i look at those boys and, and i see boys who are i don't know you might call them narcissists or 
I don't know what you would call them, but to me, it looks like these look like young men who um, are exhibiting somewhat like sociopathic tendencies, like the complete apathy, like either they believe so strongly that they are girls and that there's no issue with competing against these other girls, or they know that they're men and they have no empathy or no understanding of a basis of difference within male and female physiology. And it, yeah, it's alarming. It's alarming to see those responses, but I've also had that response from women. Some of the more shocking things is obviously woman hating is, is disgusting and prevalent within men, but yeah, having spoken to some former friends about my concerns about the sports thing and the response just being, you know, well, you know, who needs sports anyway, or I've also mm -hmm. responds, oh, well, shouldn't everyone just get a scholarship? If it's a scholarship issue, then why don't we just give everyone a scholarship? Um, I think, I, I don't know about the boys. Like, are these boys that identify as trans or? They are, yeah. Okay, I don't, I don't know what, to, I mean, boys are socialized to feel entitled to whatever they want, so. Um, and that it's the woman's job to move out of the way men want something or boys want something, then girls are required to stand out of the way so that they can have it. And no one is going to come and say, oh, no, actually, you can't have this because you're a boy and this is for girls and it's not for you. Um, because that's just how they're they're socialized. So that's I mean, that's do male dominance, male supremacism, like without right. that attitude there is no male supremacism um for women i think many women don't actually know because of the popularity of equality narratives um many women don't in the unpopularity of cultural feminism and um female separatism that many women don't actually know that men truly are stronger than women <laughs> Because we don't really fight men on a daily basis and we don't have to have any physical struggles with men. And there's a lot of equality narratives that um, either deny or un underemphasize the fact that men are stronger, more violent, bigger, more t have a higher tendency for psychopathy, that men actually biologically are a danger to women regardless of socialization like that that's really unpopular that's a really unpopular view and it's funny because both radical feminists know this and conservatives know this but then there's these people in the middle who just don't get it like and radical feminists and conservatives don't agree on anything at all but we both know that men are born a danger to women. Like they just are. There's nothing you can do about it. And I mean, there's nothing you can do about the fact that they are born that way. There's something that you can do after they're born, but not to change how they were born. And I think that's part of the reason. Like if you haven't play, tried to play sports against a man, then how are you going to know? You know, I'm stronger than my husband. I can deadlift more than my husband. Um, you know, there's some women are you know stronger than men at different things but like most women don't know about the fact that the part that overlaps in strength is very small like it you probably aren't in there like <laughs> no, i'm five one like 110 pounds no i, I right it's no, just I we're smaller weaker and slower grip strength i mean we could grip strength 
it's like, geez, yeah. Yeah, a lot of women just don't know the actual facts because they've been, it's been kept from them. Right. And, the, and, it, it, and for them, it undermines the whole equality, as you mentioned, narrative. Mm-hmm. Equality that that it's it's not just and it's not located only in feminism. This is a problem across liberalism. It's like they they believe in tabula rasa. Like I just I don't understand why I think it helps them somehow like with the ideas of everyone being equal and getting equal opportunity or you know human rights or something like because personally i don't feel like we all have to have the same tabula rasa or same potential for xyz in order to all have human rights like i don't believe that i feel like we can all be different some people are um born to be sociopaths and some people are just pushovers or some people are really bad at math and you know have no potential to write or it doesn't matter like to me it doesn't really matter the difference differences genetic differences don't really matter but for for liberals it seems to matter a lot that we all have to have the exact same genetic potential for xyz for us to be equal and, and they believe in that. And it's leaked into uh, liberal feminism in a way that's dangerous because I'm standing here as a radical feminist and banging my radical feminist fist, telling them, you know, men are faster than you. They're bigger than you. They have, they commit more violence than you. They will have more sociopathy and psychopathy than you. They are more of a danger. And they're just like, no, women can be so cruel sometimes, you know. Oh, my God. The girls made fun of me when high school. And I'm like, that has nothing. The person most likely to murder you and cut your limbs off is not a woman. The meanest girl in your high school would have never thought about raping you. And the guys that you walk by every day in the grocery store do. So, you know... (laughs) what am I how am I supposed to to have a conversation with someone like that and I think that is what you were talking about and like women saying oh well who needs sports you know of course who needs sports because women don't really generally don't like sports and so that's a perfect place for them to slide in right I don't think it's gonna work though to be honest I could be proven wrong, but I don't think it's going to work. I mean, they've already reversed the rugby one because they know they're yeah. going to get sued. Yeah, what you speak to about men just, I think, being more just apathetic, you know, it's like most men that I encounter do not for a second believe that men can become women and women can Absolutely be Absolutely not. Right. Okay, but- let, me, let me just interject. So I told you, my husband was in the same group that I was. He wasn't, he wasn't um, ejected from the group. He doesn't believe that men can become women or that women can become men. Mm-hmm. He doesn't believe that. He never commented on it, but they didn't try to out him as a, a turf or something like that. Like, right. it just didn't matter. I don't believe the other men in the group believed that either. But they, but I was the one that had to be targeted out because I was a radical feminist and I wasn't going to change my mind and no one could talk me out of radical feminism. So, wow. Anyway, so go on. I just wanted to point out, I mean, many people have pointed this out that it's targeted at women always. Absolutely. Men can be the kind of silent, um, 
I don't know what you call it, bystander. It's not their fight. It's not their fight. Exactly. Exactly. They have nothing to lose. Yep. Even, yeah, I even sometimes feel a little resentful when I'm talking to men about this and I'm just like, you have no idea what's going on. They're like, oh, wow. No, I really don't have any idea what's going on. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't freaking need to. But now that I've told you, I really hope that, you know, you speak to your peers about this. But, you know, I was talking to a man about this yesterday. Um, the kind of censorship that this is just happening, like, across the board. You know, I think... <laughs> For men, it's just this like little kind of like thing in their chest where they're like, oh, I really wish I could say what I think. But like for us, it's like the, the consequences are so much more severe, right? For a man to speak out, like you said, I mean, to openly agree with what you were saying, to be included in the group, you know, it, it, for me, it, it, it's, it seems like, okay, well, they're, they see, you know, your husband, for example, as having inherently more value so that even if to their space, if he, he considers himself a radical feminist, rejects trans ideology, they can kind of put it aside because he has so much more like value to bring that they can overlook this bigoted, mm-hmm. hateful yeah. belief, which, which it doesn't make any sense because if they actually believe he's a bigot, then they wouldn't want him in the group, which just proves that they just freaking hate women. Yeah, it's w- women's participation. And I wish... God, if if there was any message I could give to any woman, no matter what she believes politically, no matter her stance on on feminism, women's participation in public life is conditional. At any time, we can be removed back to the kitchen. Simone de Beauvoir said this, it will take just one crisis to remove every woman back to the kitchen to where men believe that we belong. Like our participation is conditional. If you are obeying, if you are repeating the things that you're supposed to be repeating, if you're not making too much of a fuss, if you're fitting into whatever racial narrative, it doesn't matter what the race is, could be white, black, Hispanic, indigenous, doesn't matter. If you're fitting into the racial narrative, if you're fitting into the sexual orientation narrative, the way that gay men took over lesbians, if you are doing the correct things, you can be included. But if you step out of the box that you're supposed to be in, they will get rid of you with no problem. And they will get rid of all of us, every single one. Like, I I just wish I could make women understand that we are a class of people defined by our reproductive biology, whether it's working, not working, used to work, but don't work no more, doesn't matter. We are defined by that. And that the people with the other reproductive biology, that it is men, can remove us back to where we started. And it's, it's conditional. Men's participation in politics is not conditional. Now, it's conditional on different things, but it's not conditional on them being men. Men are supposed to speak. Men are supposed to be leaders. Men are supposed to lead companies. Men are supposed to lead families. And other men recognize men's right to do that and men's position as doing that. Men don't remove a man and replace him with a woman. But they will remove a woman and replace her with a man. That's all. I wish I could get that into people's minds. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, I, I hope I hope you did just now. I mean, let's, uh, let's hope it. Let's hope it hit home. Let's hope. I it hope. I hope I can get that. Um, yeah, yeah. This I've heard this from a number of of, of sister, radical feminists, like sisters, friends, that you know the the denial that women have around how much men hate us. It's really, it's, yeah, it's, it's so there. It is so, the denial is so strong that I think our um, fragile standing in the world is, is somewhat alarming to confront because we have a Hillary Clinton or, you know, Alexandria Cortez, you know, it's like, oh, well, we, we've done that. So we're, we're good, but we're not, we're not good. They could disappear her in a second. It wouldn't take but a second to disappear her and replace her with a man. It just takes one crisis of we don't have money for this. We don't have time for this. You know, like um, you had brought up Black Lives Matter, like there are people on the streets uh, demanding the abolishment of the police, demanding um, the abolishment of prisons. And um, they have no earthly clue that there's another part of, the, of Twitter or another part of Reddit or another part of men's conversations that they don't see where they're begging, wishing that that was the case. Because women women are um more conscientious we police ourselves we constantly ask ourselves like oh should i be doing this probably shouldn't do this like the very slightest threat of social um disapproval is enough to keep our behavior under control so women have no clue how much the carceral system protects them because we again the equality thought is like men are just like women women think like men and men think like women or there's no way that women think and then there's no way that men think we're all just people and we're just socialized to think different ways no men are afraid of the police they are afraid of going to prison and some and there is some level of deterrence that happens that allows women to be able to go out on the street like i go out on the street and men will harass me but they don't touch me they don't chase me they don't rape me on the street so what's stopping them though like the only thing that can be stopping them is fear of other men and I think a lot of women, they just, it's just not adding up. Like they, it's, they're not getting it. Like the way that we live and women's ability to participate in things is dependent on making sure that these men who are willing to, to go the, all the way with their violence are not able to. And, and women saying no doesn't scare men at all. They, they're not concerned about being disliked. Like <laughs> women saying, well, those men are just very, aren't very nice. Like they're afraid of being arrested. They're afraid of being shot. They're afraid of losing their livelihoods. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of other men. And there's just so many women who don't get it because they, they, they've been indoctrinated in quality yeah. um, narratives about the sexes when all that was happening and is happening i just imagine every woman who has their rapist who has successfully 
convicted, they're rapists, they're murderers, right? They're, they're their sister's murderer, uh, attempted manslaughter, whatever, rape their kid. Just the, the sheer fear of these men being released and, and already have been, and we'll, I'm sure, you know. They are being released. And so we know what it's like because men who commit these crimes are released. And then the women or That's other people it. who right. are victims, right. they then live in, in perpetual fear of retaliation from this. And it has happened. Right, because these men are at best getting like you know under a decade of sentence for pedophilia mm -hmm. anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, defund is different. It's like um, too much money goes to policing, not right. enough money. Not goes to so we move some money away from policing to um, social programs right. and issues. And I'm not saying also. I mean, obviously, there are people who are incarcerated for no good reason. Right, those people should be released. Right. But abolition does not mean release people who should not be in prison. Abolition means prison does not exist. Abolition means policing does not exist. Right. Changing, reforming, defunding, those are different. Two separate, separate things. Totally. And I'm yeah. only talking about total abolition. Thank, thank you for making that distinction. The one stat that I was just talking about with a friend this morning was that 67% of women who are in prison for murder in the u.s self-defense are there for self-defense yeah. yeah women's self-defense that's something very frustrating for me to explain because i don't really i don't necessarily have any issue with second amendment or gun rights um whatever but people confuse men's self-defense or white people's self-defense with the self-defense of women or minorities. Self-defense is conditional. Like someone has to say that this was a reasonable re response to an attack that I believe happened. If that is not the case, then you go to prison. And women go to prison for defending themselves with guns or other means against men who have attacked them. So women's self-defense is not legal. Um, mm. And part of the reason why that is, is, is also an equality model issue is because the way women defend themselves is not the same way that men do, because men are more evenly matched in a fight. And also men are more likely to be attacked by strangers. Women are attacked by people in their own household. So the courts and the police have different thoughts about those different situations. And the concepts of proportionality, you know, deciding, you know, a man has raped me and my, my husband, let's say my husband has raped me four times and I can't deal with the fifth time and I can't beat him in a fight. Why not just shoot him while he's sitting? He's sitting uh, watching TV and I just shoot him. I know he's going to rape me again. He's already done it four times. But that's not proportional and it's not at the time of the attack. So I've committed a murder because I've because of the way that the law is written very simply, like I've committed a murder, so I'm gonna go to prison for that. They can, they can show that it was premeditated. Yeah. I I you know, and maybe they'll take off some years or something like that, but it's not the same thing as if my that same man who had raped me had encountered another man who pushed him or something like that, and then he pulled a gun. Like those two situations are judged differently. 
people don't think that they want you to sign up for second amendment stuff and go buy a gun again capital they want you to go buy a gun they don't capital doesn't care they'll buy you a gun they'll sell you a gun they'll sell you the you know um armor armor, you know to protect yourself from the same gun if you hadn't sell the sold the gun in the first place what would you need the gun the vest for you don't need the vest anyway what i'm saying is capital acquires anything it doesn't matter what it is you know what political side it is on but the point is people want you to sign up for the nra or something like that and they say well women need guns to defend themselves and i always ask them i ask them back like you say i need this gun to defend myself so when i shoot my husband with this gun because he's the man who's most likely to rape me he's the one man most likely to kill me to assault me he is the danger in my life is my husband are you going to be there to defend of course not you know i'm a psychotic at that point i'm a psychotic black woman who's killing her husband like i'm not a self-defense victim you know or a domestic violence victim anymore you know, it'd be like, I wish that those two issues would be presented together. Like you as a female can buy a gun, but you, the law is not going to protect you when you use it. So think about that, you know. Wow. You know. Wow. I don't know. That's something that frustrates me. It's not, has nothing to do with transgender ideology. But no, but it, it all, I mean, it's all related. That's why, you know, I mean, if we're talking about protecting women, then we have to talk about women who are you know, for defending themselves. I would encourage women to be armed um, anyway, despite the fact. Mm, yeah, exactly. If you're alive and if you're, I'd rather a woman be alive and unharmed in, in or unharmed in prison than dead. You know, obviously I believe that. Right. But yeah. what, I'm not just talking, that's what I'm focused on like with my writing. It's like, it's not just about the simple one line. This is because of social media. Everything is a simple one line thing. Like women need guns to protect themselves. From who? How? When? Where? Uh, how's, that, how's that gonna play out when she does it? You know, I wanna write it out, like ask the actual questions, you know, and start presenting, you know, get your gun, you know, be strapped, but go to your, your um, representatives and start talking to them about okay, I bought this gun, I'm a second amendment, you're Republican, <laughs> and independent NRA gun toters, and go tell them, most of the women who are in prison are in prison for self-defense. What are you gonna do to release these women? What are you doing? If I have to use this gun against a man that I know, how are you gonna use the law to protect me, you know, to say that I had the right to use it? Because they're not doing that. They're just saying, go buy a gun and vote for so-and-so for gun rights. And that just pisses me off because it's abuse. It's abuse of women's political autonomy to tell us to support causes that don't explicitly support us. And I, I get sick of it. I get sick of it. <laughs> it just pisses me off. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for outlining that really, really important distinction. And oof, I, I think this will resonate with a lot of women because, you know, I think I'll, uh, I'll speak for myself, you know, um, it's been really difficult reconciling the, the overlap with conservatism and even, you know, like, as we talked about, uh, you know, radical feminists and conservatives 
acknowledging biology and this, you know, I, I grew up thinking that guns were evil. Every kind of form of gun use was bad. They should never be held. Like that's the way that I grew up. Um, and now I've obviously come to a different conclusion, but I've still had a lot of trouble um, kind of articulating and even wrapping my head around how, how a gun would be integrated in, in, into my life and what being armed would look like. And also, as you said, thinking about the consequences. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is even despite the threat of being imprisoned for defending yourself against your you know, rapist husband, you would say it's still uh, optimal for women to be armed. I think women, I'm just going to say it straight. I think that things are going to turn bad, that things can turn bad. It's been made clear over the past, uh, what, nine months now, things can turn bad. And the only chance that women will have is if we're armed. Yeah. I hate saying that. I hate it. I don't want to say it, but it's true. Like the only chance women are going to have as individuals, as people, is if we are armed and we know each other, we have skills, like the kind of skills that you teach women about giving birth and um, abortive fashion, things like that, um, how to feed ourselves. I know what it sounds like, what I'm saying, but like, that's the only way that women are going to retain any form of political consciousness and abilities. Like, I wouldn't have said that in January, but I'm, I think it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because the men are armed they are that we're not facing unarmed men we're facing the government which is far more armed than anybody here and then we're facing a very large patriarchally minded well armed contingent of men and another contingent of men who don't believe women exist they're not as armed and they're not as tough guy image but they don't believe women exist they believe in things like sex work is work uh sexual mutual aid which is the next thing that i've heard of they believe in um sexual mutual aid you haven't heard that i heard that something from twitter about sexual mutual aid which i assume mutual aid is a concept within anarchism is that we provide each other with you know, if I have excess things, I share with my fellow anarchists, I, the people around me. It's Is this a, like a sexual barter system? Yeah. Prostitution. Oh, okay. Just not yeah. money. Okay. Not money, but if sexual sexuality. And I'll give you a blowjob. Yeah. Prostitution. So those men have views that are just as misogynistic as the other group. So literally the only thing women <laughs> can do is to network develop class consciousness, network, have skills, and the ability to get out of situation or rescue women from situations like that and defend whatever territory that we can obtain. Like, that's all we have. Damn. Because you can't just, you can't be running around with guys who are watching uh, BDSM porn and practicing different knots to tie women. Because, I mean, it just takes one second. It just takes one second for them to realize I can have sex slaves if I just do, this is a sex slave manual, the pornography that they watch. They think that they're liberal and that they believe in feminism, but they don't. They believe in um, 
male liberation. I don't even know what to call it, what they believe. They believe in, in all the same misogynistic beliefs, but they believe it in a disorganized way, like a public way, rather than a private way where, you know, a, a man on the other side will want me to be his wife and produce children for him or something like that. These men don't necessarily want me to be their wife. They just want to have me tied up with different types of knots and different ball gags and stuff so that they can use my orifices. You know, the only thing you can do is shoot those guys. What the fuck else are you going to do? You know, try to explain to them. Like, I've been trying to explain. They already right. have a name and for it. your thesis? Yeah, <laughs> you know? And that's the only reason why I say that. I don't believe in a violent culture. I'm a nonviolent. I believe in nonviolence as a political practice. But there comes a time where your existence is on the line and you either have to decide you're going to exist or they are. And that's it. I mean, it's a sobering reminder. I think, I think this is the message that women need to hear. It's we, we can't really afford to be in the abstract anymore. I mean, it sucks because I'm, I'm a thinker. I like writing and thinking and being left alone. Like I don't, I'm not the one out there marching or tipping over cop cars or nothing like that. I, I'm just a thinker, but, but thinking is a privilege, a privilege of peace. Yeah. So yeah. I hate, I hate saying these things to you. I, I do. I want to tell you, I don't want to say it to you. No, I, you know, I care about you. And I, I know these types of words can hurt people and I, I don't, but I'm just telling you the truth as I yeah, see it. This is love. This is love. This is not, okay. it doesn't hurt. I mean, it's, I mean, it's sad, but it's, it's reality. And, and, you know, what we've been talking about in the group series that I'm doing is, is tough love, you know, loving rough, you know, however you want to call it. It's like, this is, what is going to help us as a sex class like pretending i hope so at least at least entertaining that this could be the outcome really laying out the options because right now yeah. the options are not laid out for women to take i really yeah i agree i wish i wish there was more of that there's not a lot of straight talk in feminism it's a lot of um baloney bullshit whatever mm -hmm. kind of stuff and i'm a straight talker i try to talk straight about if I know the facts about something, I get the facts and I try to lay it out straight. If I can't lay it out straight, I don't know enough, I try not to say anything, you know, that's, and let other people tell me what, what it is. And I'm just saying like, as I see it, I think it would be a good idea for women to be armed, to be trained, no matter how they obtain the training, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who you get it from, just get it and know in their minds, some women that they could get with to you know protect themselves and and gain territory for themselves after the things that i've seen these last few months and i wouldn't have said that before because you know i like resistance to being armed i wasn't necessarily raised like the way you were like my parents are from a rural area so gun ownership was just like a normal part of life um and I was never necessarily opposed to it. Like, I don't really want to be stra walking around strapped all the time because I just feel like <sighs> so many people died to make this a peaceful place. To make this a place, the United States of America, you know, a country that we say is of dreams. Why do I want to walk in my own neighborhood strapped to kill my neighbor, 
to kill my husband, the man that I married. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't preach that. But, you know, sometimes other people deliver something on your door that you, you have no choice. You know, you get put in a situation and you have no choice. I don't, I don't believe in, in interpersonal violence as a solution. You know, no. I don't. This conversation, even that we're coming to this, just, yeah, highlights the kind of desperation. It's the point that the, the, the... That's exactly what it is. Desperation. And, and one of the things I, I do say, I have said frequently, especially when I'm talking about the conflict between radicalism and liberalism, um, if you understand what I mean, like classical liberalism, the belief uh, uh, that we can all have different belief systems and different religions come from different places and be equal under the law and live our respective lives according to our own you know, within reason to our own morality. The only way to make peace is for that to be true. So everyone has to actually be treated equally under the law and have the protection of the law for there to be peace. Otherwise, there will be intergroup conflict as some people feel like they're not represented under the law well enough and other people feel like the other group has gained too many rights or something like that. If people are not actually treated equally under the law, there will be intergroup conflict, which is actually intergroup conflict, but it's intergroup conflict because we're all Americans. Something that's not happening is like the pressure is not being put on classical liberals to actually defend their position. Are they really out there advocating for accurate representations of history you know they get really angry if you knock over a statue of columbus but you have to remember the people that <laughs> knock over the statue of columbus were taught taught lies about columbus they weren't told the truth the whole truth about what he did and how this part of the world was achieved the achievements of western civilization the truth was not told and so they're angry about being lied to so the only way you can prevent things like that is by just telling the truth. Like you have to tell the truth. And if the truth is not good, you may have to make reparations. Like you may have to say, we will give up something on our side to make it better for you because we did take something from you. And that's community healing that's coming together as a nation, but something has to actually be sacrificed. If, if when we take the account, there's a balance, there's something that was not ev evenly distributed, like that has to be done. And it just frustrates me so much because the concept of liberal liberalism is beautiful. Like it's a beautiful thought of having freedom and the protection of the group at the same time. It's a beautiful utopian kind of a thought. So why don't they put more effort into it? I don't know, it's just frustrating to me. And I feel like uh, what I feel like is radicals don't, um, don't turn around enough and look at classical liberals like, um, and say, if you really believe this, if you really believe we can all live equally under the law, then what are you doing to make sure that the law is educated fairly? Are you counting? Are you measuring how equal it is? Like if there's 
differences? Are you discounting it and trying to blame biology? Because they do like to do that. And they do like to say, well, it just so happens. It just so happens. And it's like, is it, but is it really, you know? I guess the first kind of political figure that I feel like has really been outspoken about this, that's coming to my periphery is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He, he definitely makes the distinction between neoliberalism and classical liberalism and, and he's been shadow banned, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I appreciate you kind of like outlining that, that, that distinction. There's this talk of getting to this place, but it's not defined. Like, is the goal, like, what is the goal with, yeah. I, yeah. Right. What is the angle? Like, what are we trying to do? Like, whereas radical feminism within ra- ra- radical feminism, there are these really clear, distinct asks. Mm-hmm. Like, we are outlining crystal clear, explicitly what we want and how we want it done, and it's being blatantly ignored. Yeah. So I, you know, it's it's kind of remarkable how this like amorphous kind of equality, corny prostitute everything is good no boundaries is just no boundaries it's and the part of it is the reason why it's so amorphous is because of the basis academically where it comes from of a place of deconstruction if you're deconstructing norms when you're deconstructing norms there because the human is a norm forming social species right there is, your work is never done. So there's always going to be a new norm. I wrote about this about homosexuality, where homosexuality was like this magnet for the concept of social deviance. And it's settled around homosexuality and, and the gay community. And then when gay people became normal, there was nowhere for this deviance to go. So it had to find something else to attach to. And it happened to attach to transsexuality. Um, and, and for good reasons. I don't think it was arbitrary. I think it had to do a lot to do with the physical nature of changing sex. Um, is such a clear, clear physical act of deviance where just changing the nature of what it means to be a husband is just a, is verbal, you know, why can't a husband, a man be a husband to another man? There's really no reason why not, you know, all we have to do is change a few words, few legalities. And now a man is a husband to another man. Um, They adopt children and now they're using surrogacy as well. So, which is another separate issue, but um, what I'm staying with the concept of of deviance and the, you know, going away from the norm. Now, uh, two men who are married and have may perhaps have a child and they have salaried jobs, they're white, uh, middle-class people there's no room for deviance and that's why this project that we're talking about that's attached itself to liberal feminism is unfinished it feels amorphous because there there's always it's an agitating thing it's something there's always another norm to be deconstructed so what do you think is next for what like (laughs) let's say i mean let's, let's assume that like um if we were to say transgenderism has been 
normalized that that enough people in the world let's say maybe it's like next year enough people in the world believe hopefully this doesn't happen i actually don't think this is going to happen but uh, let's say we brainwash enough people to believe that men can become women and women can become men like then what like is it pedophilia is it you know i mean the age of consent oh you mean like what norm is next for them to go to yeah it seems like they have their sights set on the age of consent and pedophilia area that seems where i mean it seems like we've people have been saying that for years so i don't know if that's true or not but like maybe adjusting age of consent like what's um, did you see what happened in california i think it was in june uh that the age of consent has been reduced to 10 years so the 18 year old and the 10 year old can have consensual sex i didn't see that no i didn't see that a lot of things a lot of things i there was something else i did see come out of california which was had to do with uh sex offender reporting but i think that was like different people misinterpreted the law or something like that but no i didn't know that i think that those things are nearing and i think there's going to be eventually transracialism we've already seen it a few times we do know that this phenomenon has just like transsexualism has existed for years there are people who are born and they really don't feel like they are the race that they are and there are cosmetic surgeons who will adjust my nose to make me look Han Chinese and bleach me up and shave this head and stick a wig on it. And I'm a Chinese person and it's coming. It's, it's already popping up. Because remember, transsexualism started out just like transracialism now. It was just yeah. like, you'd hear it every now and then. It's crazy. Something you see on Jerry Springer. It's weird. Ignore yeah. it. No big yeah. deal. Now they're telling me that I, by law, have to call a man a woman. Like it just, it, it just went from one little thing, da da da, to that. And it's going to be the same thing with transracialism. Mm -hmm. These age of consent things, I feel like it's a long time coming because it, it doesn't really have to do with homosexuality. It doesn't have to do with transgenderism. Like it has to do with men, men's sexual preferences for children. Yeah. Um, yeah. And which has always existed and it's been dealt with in different ways in different cultures across time and we may have some type of a shift around that it's not like suddenly it's not it's not the same as with transsexualism where there's procedures or something involved with it or like something that people don't want really want to understand is that we already accept pedophilia when a man is sexually interested in a teenager we have different ways of rationalizing it by talking about her body or like what level of maturity she's at. Like the, the common thing that people will say that's coming up is like, Uncle Randy, you change your shorts for Uncle Randy. Mm. Change your shorts for Uncle Randy is just pedophilia. But we've all lived that. My mom was like that, that too. It was just like, there's men in the house, you need to change your clothes when I was 11 years old. Like, we've all always known that men have a sexual preference for really young girls, girls that are not at the age of consent. That's why age of consent <laughs> exists, is because of, if men weren't attracted to, to underage girls we wouldn't have an age of consent like the reason why we have it is because to try to protect girls from early marriage you need to have some level of, of maturity beyond having a period in order to support 
a pregnancy in order to, you know, be a healthy person, you know? So I think that those are issues are separate, but it's coming up because a lot of the rhetoric is it's like being problematized is what I call it. Yeah. So children's innocence is being problematized in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, their consent, ability to consent and things like that. I want to speak to transracialism. So I went to an art school and my senior year, my senior thesis was about transhumanism and, and transracialism. So like this utopia, right, where uh, you could go to a store and there'd be a menu and you could choose purple, green, yellow, you know, just, you know, things that I had read about in like sci-fi yeah. books, right? And so it's so interesting because had I done that kind of project now in 2020, like I think I would have been like expelled, but I was like, really, I was going there. Like I, yeah. I where I was like wearing bronzer, I created this character of this woman who, who really um, was so desperate to be loved and beautiful that she, she bronzes herself. How tan can you get? How much can you exoticize? you know, another race that isn't yours, the point of it being like just objectively harmful and racist, right? Which we, which we yeah. see, we see those lines blurred so often, right? This like this trope of, um, of being of a middle-class family or even upper middle-class family is like going to the tropics, right? For your holiday and coming back with your bronze skin and your cornered hair and your beads. Mm -hmm. It's like, I am, wealthy enough for, for my parents to take me on this one week vacation once a year or the cruise or whatever it is. And the degree to which my, my, my project was received is interesting to think about. So on the one hand, you know, had it been 2020, I think I just would have been like, you put in, you know, just like completely canceled. On the other hand, like the amount of apathy that, that like I received as well as worrisome because I was talking about really scary shit. And like, I wasn't claiming to be like a Rachel Dolezal. Like I wasn't saying, hey guys, like I'm really born in the wrong body and this is who I am, right? So, but this almost this romanticizing this, this world where we could be anything we want to be just is totally laying the foundation for dissociation and self-harm and a complete eradication of, of just material reality and history and all these things and um it just blows my mind that that is so unacceptable like rachel dolezal and i did a project on her too but like that whole thing is just so socially unacceptable maybe it just proves again the point that that women truly are the most hated beyond anyone i don't know i don't know what it proves that, that we can get away that that men can get away with the gender bullshit but 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 what but the transracialism stuff is still tab is it maybe i would say still taboo i mean we have the michael sure, jackson it's very taboo. it's absolutely taboo um it's absolutely taboo i think it's interesting because it's a philosophical issue like transhumanism and gendered identity extremism religious belief uh go together because it's about the vision of the self within and being able to speak words and do processes to make make yourself in the image of your mind so i see myself as 511 with very fair skin and green eyes 
and purple straight purple hair that goes down to my feet and I can step into this machine that reads what I see myself as mind now has escaped its prison and now it is physical I have from my mind I have made myself and my own image like it's a powerful and terrifying belief that's dangerous to the individual because it's seeking a desire like to escape the self and it's something that's explored in psychology or in philosophy all the time is like the desire to escape what you are white people traveling to other lands where they escape their identity as a white person located very firmly in the in their culture respective culture and they go to a new culture where they can form a new identity because they're unbound by the cultural signifiers of where they belong there's also transspeciesism, people who feel mm -hmm. like very strongly transabled we don't like to talk about it these people exist. They feel very strongly that they are an amputee, that their leg does not belong there, and they want it cut off. They will cut off their own hands. They will cut off their own feet. They will do things to their bodies to what I would refer to as a mutilation of their own body in order to, f to actualize their thought of what they look like. The other trans don't people don't want to talk about that they don't want to talk about it at all and and the, also the relation of transgenderism to eating disorders where the mind has a thought i don't want breasts if i eat i will grow breasts i don't like my masculine body shape if i don't eat i won't develop the muscles so the brain or the mind says an image or gives an image and then it is actualized by the behavior of the person and like the desire for that is part of what it means to be human and it's something that we should be able to talk about and explore and it shouldn't be something that's identity bound like it shouldn't be an identity like i can't explore what it would mean to change race because i'm white and i'm privileged like i don't believe that at all i i am on the margin of those kind of thoughts because i think people should be allowed to think whatever they want and make art and commentary that reflects because i think holding it in it causes authoritarianism you can't be thinking freely and speaking freely and creating freely and be authoritarian at the same time. So if someone is expressing it and they're letting it out, I don't think that they can truly be said to be authoritarian and they're not really a threat. I think that people should make like the art that you were talking about, you were going on a very important journey in, in terms of your art, in terms of elucidating this feeling that we have as humans that I, I am not, me like my physical body and what i think of myself as and what i want to be do not match ever they can never match mm. because i can't perceive this i i have limited ability to perceive what i look like and what i physically am like i try to explain this about like they want to they want to say woman is a uterus owner there's no way for a woman or a girl to intuit that she has a uterus. She cannot perceive herself as a uterus owner without the knowledge, the outside knowledge from the outside. You are a person with a uterus. Like someone has to tell her that. 
how will they know? No one goes, and I mean, no one looks inside me to see that I have a uterus. I don't know that I do. I mean, I do, because I've seen it on the ultrasound, but I mean, I didn't have an ultrasound until I was, um, I don't know, 25. So what was my perception of being female up until the time that I actually saw my uterus? Like, so embodied experience is something that's very complex. And if we don't talk about it, other people who are talking about it, transhumanists, are going to make the technologies and they're going to give you the philosophy, you just shoot it right in your brain with a little text or the, the meaningless types of communication that we use today. And before you know it, a lot of us are going to be dead. A lot of us are going to have weird surgeries that we don't need. A lot of us are going to have body image issues that we, uh, people are already getting those, but like that we don't need because we're looking at a lot of images. Our understanding of ourselves comes from the outside, not the inside. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. That's my comment on that. I, I really didn't understand fully at the time. I don't know that I could have grasped what I was holding, that there was a sense of um, detachment, right? I, I, exploring those themes, I, I wasn't thinking about, okay, what would the real world consequences of this actually be? Mm -hmm. Like who would be paying for it? How would this be marketed? Who would be funding? Like it was just this kind of like, oh, what a world, you know, just this. You're giving kind of, birth to it, yeah. You, yeah, and you don't and, know what your child is before you give birth to you. You just give birth. Yeah. It's a process. You're giving birth to it at the time. I was giving birth to it exactly, exactly. But this, this, yeah, I've always had that like fascination of of just what this, just trying to make sense of it all. And I, and yeah, I, I'm so grateful to having come into radical feminism and learning and, and, you know, from women like yourself uh, uh, and really kind of grounding back into what it means to be a part of the sex class, like really like, like the truest sense of like rooting and grounding um, yeah. so that we are not continuously destabilized and confused and disjointed right. and divided. What you're doing is important work because we can't, we don't develop, I said this before, we don't develop consciousness individually. Like we look to other humans to decide what something is. And if another, if I think it's something and another human tells me it's not, unfortunately, I'm, we're just more likely to believe the other human because this is how our brains work. And so when you bring women together and give them a space to um, and that was the whole point of the women's movement. But when you bring women together in a space for free speech, where we can speak openly about our experiences and what it means, it reinforces to every other woman that hears it, that this is the truth, that she's not in crazy, that it's not an individual um, problem with her perceptions, that other people are having the perceptions as well. And that that's what makes it true. And it's really important work. I appreciate it. Oh, wow. I, I think that's a beautiful note to, to end on. Um, how can women reach you? How can they follow your writing? Um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is, my main Instagram is borderline sleeve. And the one that I write a lot of stories and walls of text about um, feminism and other sometimes other politics and ways of thinking and rhetoric is 
um, at underscore R-M-R-I-L-E-Y. So underscore R-M Riley. And that's about it for now. I hope, hopefully I will expand out into more media, but that's all I have energy for right now. Awesome. Okay, I'll be sure to link both pages um, in the in the description. Thank you so much. I'm yeah, just thrilled to be connected with you, and I think this is gonna resonate with a lot of women. I hope so. And it's a it's a long journey. Like it can be a long, tiring journey. There's no reason to hear things that someone else is saying and then instantly accept that as the truth. I, I. I think that process is scary. I'd rather people just listen and, and take from it what they will. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support my work, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To stay in the loop for my latest coaching programs, hypnosis sessions, free resource guides, and more, follow me on Instagram at whosebodyisit. And visit my website, whosebodyisit.com.